Good morning. Welcome to Yonsan Baptist Church English Sunday School class for 30 April 2023, almost into May. We started last week our lesson from the book of Joshua, where we began at Joshua chapter 11, looking at Canaan, lessons of the conquest. And we, uh, we spoke about the conquest of the land that we could find in chapters 11 and 12 and how the book of Joshua is divided up in the first 12 chapters defining, de describing the conquest of the land in 13 through 21 recounting the division of the land among the tribes of Israel and we went through some points there after which we're going to group together chapters 13 through 21 in the division of the, the, the land amongst the tribes of Israel and look at that as one section of scripture we covered under the conquest of the land, those of you who have an outline, letter A was the two main lessons we could learn from these chapters, and it was that the Lord gave the victory, and Joshua obeyed the Lord and utterly destroyed the enemy. We talked about several important facts there, and um, brought out the quote from Exodus 23, 29-30, about why God um, didn't conquer in his own power the enemy immediately. In Exodus 23, 29, 30, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. Also, what I want to bring up last week is that according to Judges 2, 21 through 23, God knew the next generation would forsake him after Joshua was dead and the elders who outlived Joshua died. And he left some of those nations in place. They passed right by them, didn't, didn't completely, when they, when they took out the power base of, uh, of the land of Canaan, they weren't conquering every city in order. They were going to the major cities, taking out the power base, and then they would go back in to, to uh, drive them out of the land. But God left some of those nations in place uh, and didn't divinely drive all of them out to prove Israel whether they would keep the word of the Lord or not. And that's from Judges chapter 2. So, we, we, we covered that, and then we got into the, the division of the inheritance, was uh, Roman numeral 2, the division of the inheritance. We talked about how Joshua had fulfilled the first part of his commission in conquering the land, and now he had to finish the second part of his commission in dividing the inheritance. And we saw how inheritance was an important word in the, these chapters. In just nine chapters, the word inheritance is used 50 times. Um, Israel did not purchase the land. This was a key point that we brought up. It was not a business transaction. They did not win the land as spoils of battle. The Lord was the sole owner of the land, and he gave it to them as their inheritance. That's a key distinction between all between Israel and all other countries and nations in the history of the world and how they come about by the property that they claim to be theirs. Um, Leviticus 25, 23, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And that is a key distinction. Jehovah God was the landlord, and the rent that he required was their worship and obedience to his law. When the nation of Israel agreed to the blessings and cursings at Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, they entered into what is known as the Palestinian Covenant with God. And again, what we looked at here was we were going to jump into, and that's about where we ended last week. We'll jump into chapters 13 through 21 with seven main lessons 
that we can learn from this portion of scripture about the division of the land. So the first one that I want you to bring up, or I want you to, to see, uh, letter under letter A, number one there, is from Joshua chapter 13, and that's don't settle as a borderline believer. Don't settle as a borderline believer. Here in chapter 13, Reuben, Gad, and East Manasseh were the two and a half tribes that settled on the east side of Jordan. They wanted that land because it was suitable for raising cattle, and Moses granted their request. We saw that they, you see in uh, chapter 13, that they become like a buffer zone between the Jews and the heathen nations. And this made them vulnerable to military attack and ungodly influence and created serious problems for their children and their children's children and so on in the generations to come. The lesson here is to enter into all that God has planned for you and don't settle for what is good over what is best. A lot of times in our lives we allow something good to get in the way of something that is the best. And God wants the best for us, and He's the only one who knows what is actually best for us. That's right. And we can greatly hinder His plans for our lives by focusing on chasing and settling for good things that don't come anywhere near what is best. The will of God is the expression of the love of God, and it's always the best for you. So trust His will. Learn His will and trust His will. Psalm 47, 4 is a good verse there. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom He loved. Selah. He shall choose our inheritance for us. And then number two, it gets into ch uh, chapter 14, and we'll read verses 6 through 9. Chapter 14, verses 6 through 9. And the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me unto Kadesh Barnea, or from Kadesh Barnea, to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses sware on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thy inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Here in uh, this, this part of uh, chapter 14, we see that we can be encouraged in our pilgrim journey, because the best is yet to come. The promise of Christianity is that the best is yet to come. And the, the difference between our, our spirituality, our faith as Christians, not necessarily the religion that claims the name of Christianity, but our faith and relationship with Jesus Christ, the difference between that and every other belief system in the history of man or in the future is the hope that lies within our belief. The hope that the best is yet to come is not is, is fully founded throughout the Word of God. And we have promises that become provisions. And then those provisions lead us to, to, to think about more promises and prophecies that have come true. And then they can tell us that if the prophecies that were all prophesied here have come true, then the ones that were prophesied the next year are probably going to come true. And the ones that were prophesied after that will probably become true. We build that trust over time, but no other religion no other faith-based conglomeration of teachings, no other thought process, no other spiritual journey has the hope 
that we have as Christians. Amen. So we yeah. see there, we can be encouraged in our pilgrim journey because the best is yet to come. Judah, Ephraim, and West Manasseh were the two and a half tribes settled on the west of Jordan. So we, we, we know by name and, and by lot that the ones that were settled on the east of Jordan and the ones that were settled on the west of Jordan. Judah, Ephraim, and West Manasseh. Caleb and Joshua were the two good spies of the, of the twelve that were sent out before the Battle of Ai. And 45 years they had waited as the only two who were going to live through that time period. They, were, they waited for God to give them their inheritance. And again, of that entire generation, they're the only two that got to see it. So the lesson here is that you have already received your glorious inheritance in Christ, and it's your responsibility to claim it by faith. So we have to keep pressing on in this truth that Christ has already secured our inheritance, and we have to, Caleb and Joshua, and, and, uh, and Joshua had to continue to do God's work and God's will for that 45 years that they had until they were able to claim that inheritance. And Christ has already done that for us, but we're working toward that mark. Right? We're, we're pressing toward that mark, and there is more yet to come. There's more yet to come within this life, and then obviously the inheritance we have in heaven is even greater um, for us to see. Ephesians 1.3, let's turn to Ephesians 1.3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. There's also 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6. Pastor's been going through uh, 1 Peter for a while now, and maybe we'll get through it one of these days. Um, but it's great lessons. I'm going to show you my Bible. I don't know if you can see it on here. I have so many lines and markings. I'm, I'm almost losing track of what the real words are in my Bible. <laughs> um, we're 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very similar in these verses between Peter and Paul here. Which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations Caleb and Joshua had those manifold temptations but they had the promise of the inheritance and that's a type Right? It's not the same thing, but it is a type of the thing where we, too, in receiving Christ, have this inheritance. And we, know, we don't know how many temptations or how, many, how much time of heaviness or how many trials or how long it'll be. For some, it may only be a year after they get saved or a day after they get saved that they pass into glory. And for some of us, it may be 80 years before we get that chance to step into our inheritance. But we have to be encouraged by the fact that it is there. We know that it is yet to come. And no matter what happens here, the best is yet to come. Amen? Number three, you are never too old to make new conquests of faith. That's back in Joshua chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while... Pardon me. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. That's 85 for those of you who don't do KJV math. And <laughs> as I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me.
and my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war, both to go out and to come in. And now therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If, it so, if so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And then verse 13, And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Jacob, or Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. And Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. What a testimony to wholly follow the Lord God of Israel. At 85 years of age, Caleb did not look uh, for an easy task. He didn't look for sympathy. He didn't look for a handout. But he asked for a mountain to climb and giants to conquer. And I hope we can all have that same confidence in our faith in Christ to, to say, if the Lord wants me to, to do this until I'm 80, I'm here for it, right? If he wants me to do this at 80, at 85, if the Lord wants me to stay in the army until they kick me out because I'm too old, whatever, Lord, whatever, wherever, whenever. But he found his secret, or his secret, I guess, is found in the statement that's repeated six times in Scripture. In uh, Joshua 14, 14, Joshua 14, 8 through 9, that we read, Deuteronomy 1, 36, Numbers 32, 12, and then the first time, Numbers uh, 14, 24. Then all of these times, the statement, He wholly followed the Lord God of Israel, or I wholly followed the Lord my God, the, but the, the concept of Caleb wholly following the Lord. Um, and there's, you know, we could talk about the significance of the number six, but we'll just move on. First John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And so our faith needs to be strong enough to still take on conquests, no matter our age, no matter how long we've been a Christian, and no matter what we see in front of us. And it's a great song that goes along with that verse, I want that mountain. I want that mountain. So we should continue to press forward um, without, without letting any challenge when he was 40, he said, yeah, there were giants. Yeah, there were big folk, a lot of them, whatever. God's bigger. Let's go. <laughs> and the people went, no, I don't think so. And now he's 85. He says, guess what? There's still, there's still a mountain there. There's still, uh, there's still giants there. I still say, let's go. God's bigger. Right? And now he's not going with all of Israel. He's just going with his family. And he still wants to take it. And God's still going to bless him because of his heart to have faith in God. Number four. You are responsible for the next generation of believers. You are responsible for the next generation of believers. Joshua chapter 15, verses 13 through 17. And unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Manak. 17. And he spent, he went up thence to the inhabitants of Debir, and the name of Debir before was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjath Sefer and taketh it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and gave him Aksa, his daughter, to wife. This is the same Othniel that in the book of Judges is one of the judges of Israel. Um, again, continuing to step up to the challenge of, here's, here's something, go get it, and he goes and gets it. 
And Othniel, again, we all see him in Judges chapter 1, Judges chapter 2. Uh, one of the first two judges, I believe. But here we see that we're, we are responsible for the next generation of believers. Caleb provided for his son-in-law, Othniel, but Othniel still had to fight for it. He didn't say, here, who wants my daughter? He said, who wants to do this, right? And this is your reward. And he still had to fight for it. The older generation must provide materially and spiritually. For the next generation but the next generation must want it they must work for it they must fight for it and we were all that prior generation and then we become the older generation right and we have to still propagate the gospel that way we still have to propagate propagate morality that way we have to propagate decency that way we propagate our systems of government that way right the the older generation has to be responsible for the younger generation Aksa, caleb's daughter also asked for an additional inheritance, the blessings of the springs of water, like Elisha asked for a double portion of God's spirit. She didn't want just, okay, this is this is what you know you said, but hey, we're doing cattle stuff, we need water, so give me another blessing, right? That she was bold in that. Um, and so Aksa requested a greater inheritance in verse 19. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is if we are the next generation, are we asking? For greater blessings and greater power in our lives from God and the the next generation that we're rearing up are we seeing them want more of God's blessing and more of God's power in their life and then again our responsibility is to have that desire right to strive to struggle and to work for more of what God has for us and to, to want more of his word and then for them to see us wanting more of his word so that they learn by example to want more of what God has. So that's a great lesson there too. And then number five, God wants all his people to receive their inheritance. Joshua 17, verses 3 through 6. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but daughters, and these are the names of his daughters, Mala and Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they came near before Eleazar the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun and before the princess, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their father. And there fell ten portions to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh had an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. So here we see that in the nation of Israel, the sons received the inheritance, but the daughters of Zelophehad petitioned Moses to change that law or to add to it. They had the faith and courage to ask for the rightful inheritance, but it wasn't a selfish request as much as it was the request for the continuation of the inheritance of their father's line. And because the intent of the inheritance was that every family of Israel had an inheritance and had a part and the way that the laws were made by God given to Moses by Moses to the people was so that no one could forever lose their inheritance it might be sold for this traded for that loaned out for something but it would come back it would come back to the family the laws the you know the laws of, of jubilee and every and every seventh and then in the 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 50th, right, and the concept of all these these pictures that God was was uh, portraying through the laws that He gave to Israel, um, the inheritance was very important to God and very important to Israel, and so it was a proper request and it was properly responded to. 
in Christ, all believers are one and are all heirs of God. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. You won't turn there. I'll try to hurry through this. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And James 4, 2. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot attain. Ye fight and war. Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Nothing, here's a lesson, nothing from your first birth should ever be allowed to hinder you from receiving all that is promised because of your second birth. One more time, nothing from your first birth should hinder you from receiving all that is promised in your second birth. And God, because God wants all of his people to receive their inheritance. He is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And then all those who come to repentance, he wants to receive their inheritance. He did not want to deny Israel anything. He just required that they obey, that they believe and obey. And he doesn't want to deny believers today anything. He just requires that we believe and obey. Number six, you will gain new territory by belief, by belief, not by boasting or assuming. Also in chapter 17, verses 14 through 18. And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I'm a great people, for as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto? And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both they who are of the Bethshion and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power. Thou hast not one lot only. Thou shalt not have one lot only. But the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood. And thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou, thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariot, iron chariots, and though they be strong. The children of Joseph, which was Ephraim and Manasseh, were very proud people. They were adopted in Joseph's place by Jacob and had multiplied greatly. Also, Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim. It seemed that they felt that they should have special privileges because of Joshua being the leader or because of both of them being the sons of Joseph, whatever reason they had there. Joshua responded that if they were a great people, if they were a great people, they should prove it by taking more land from the enemy. Perhaps Joshua pointed to Caleb, who allowed nothing to stop him from conquering that heaven. Those tribes, these tribes, not only created problems for Joshua, but they also created problems for Gideon, Jephthah, and even David. And the future passages of Scripture, James 3.16, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. In Joshua 18.1, Joshua moves the camp of Israel from Gilgal to Shiloh, and this is where the tabernacle was pitched until Solomon built the temple. Five tribes had received their inheritance, leaving seven tribes who still needed to claim their land. So Joshua and the elders inaugurated a new system for allocating land. Each tribe sent three men to search out and map the rest of the land. Joshua then divided that land and assigned portions by casting lots before the Lord. Don't ask me to, to, to explain the casting of lots in the Urim and the Thummim. That's, 
it's lost in tradition and the Bible says it, I believe it, but I don't have to understand it. Benjamin, being a full brother to Joseph, was assigned land adjacent to Ephraim and Manasseh. And we say that in chapter 18, verses 11 through 28. Then Simeon shared Judah's inheritance and eventually inhabited the cities assigned in Joshua 15, 21. And we see that in chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. That was a case of Judah had way more property than they needed. They weren't able to hold all those cities, so Simeon comes in and takes part of it. But Simeon then becomes the furthest southern tribe to inherit or have to have an inheritance. Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, and Naphtali were assigned land north of Manasseh, so north of the central part of, of uh, Israel. Dan, the last tribe to receive its inheritance, was assigned land west of Benjamin, so to the water. We see that in 1940-48. Being the leader that he was, Joshua waited until everyone had received their inheritance before he claimed his own land in the borders of Ephraim. Like Caleb, he preferred a mountainous region, and he built the city of Timnath-Serah. So that's all of that portion. And then number seven, I think that's the last number we've got there for the lessons we'll learn in this portion of Scripture. The only hope of salvation is to flee to Jesus Christ. And this is Joshua 20 and 21, talking about the cities of refuge, right? So there were 48 cities given to the Levites in chapter 21. Among these were six cities of refuge that were named in chapter 20. Three situated on the east of Jordan and three on the west. Israel is about the size of the state of Maryland or one-fifth the size of South Korea. So no one was ever too far away from a city of refuge. The, city, the six cities of refuge were needed in a society that had no police force to investigate crime. The law was simple. If anyone killed a person, they could flee to the protection of a city of refuge until the elders of that city could investigate the circumstances. If the fugitive was found guilty of premeditated murder, they would then be put to death. If, they were, if it was determined it was a case of manslaughter, it was not premeditated, the fugitive was allowed to live in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. If the fugitive left that city, he or she could be put to death by the avenger of blood, the next of kin, whoever it was that was um, bringing the accusation. It was a case of forfeiting your freedom to save your life. And it's what we base our prison system off of. It, life sentences without parole are forfeiting your freedom to save your life. What is your life worth? Right? It's a very, very close picture of the same thing that was going on with uh, a lot of our judicial system in America, at least, is based off of the Bible, though many don't want to admit that. As Christians, we have a picture of comparison here. So our picture of comparison is that death pursues the guilty sinner, Jesus Christ the Savior, as a... Uh, sorry. Yes, Jesus Christ is the Savior, and the sinner must flee to him by faith to be saved. Hebrews 6, 18-20, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us, entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We also not just have a picture, a picture of comparison, but a picture of contrast. We need no trial. We are guilty, and we simply must admit it. We cannot prematurely leave Jesus Christ. We are forever secure in his salvation. 
our high priest died in our place, rose again, and lives forevermore. So we see the picture of the, 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 the cities, right, for, of, wow, the cities of refuge as a picture of both comparison and contrast with our salvation in Jesus Christ. One more verse here for you, Hebrews 7, 24-25. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. There is no, when the high priest dies, you go back to your life. Your refuge in Jesus Christ is your refuge in Jesus Christ. But unlike them forsaking their freedom, whatever we give up to be a slave of Jesus Christ gains us far more than we could have lost. The names of these cities in order along with their meanings, if that's a thing you care about, was Kadesh, Shechem, Hebron, Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan. And in order, they would mean righteousness, shoulder, fellowship, fortress, heights, and possibly exile. Um, as our Savior, Christ gives us his righteousness. As our great shepherd, he carries us on his shoulders. As our brother, he fellowships with us. As our fortress, he provides safety. As our guide, he leads us to greater heights. As his people, we are pilgrims and foreigners in this world. So there's so much in the Bible that we are, we are meant to study, to dig it out, to, 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 to figure out, okay, this is maybe a hard portion of Scripture. This looks like an inconsequential portion of Scripture. There is nothing... People, I hear people joke about this all the time. There is nothing in the Bible that you can, quote, feel free to skip. Okay? <laughs> These chapters have brought out, in chapters 11 through 21, have brought out three resources that we have in claiming our inheritance of Christ. And I think it's very important that everybody understands their inheritance is in Christ Jesus and that there is an action, right? We have to, we have to fight for that inheritance. We have to actually know what we believe and we have to be willing to, to make a defense of it, a, a apologia, or to uh, a, an answer, right, as, as Peter says. But what we, we see as resources here in 20, chapter 21, verse 43, we see that God's covenant will not fail. Chapter 1, verse 43 states, And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. The, God's covenant is based on him and not on us just as he did with Abraham. So we can, we can know that God's covenant will not fail. God's power, number two, can give us victory over every foe and rest from every battle. And the Lord gave them rest around about according to all that he had swore, all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. So God's power can give us victory over every foe and rest from every battle, then God's promises can be trusted. The last verse there, verse 45. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. We can have faith in God's promises that they, they can be trusted, He can be trusted, and He will never fail. We will. Don't get that twisted. But He will never fail. Amen? Amen. Amen. Good little portion there. Thanks for your attention. I know that was rather fast. <laughs> but the great thing is it's recorded so you can go back and watch it again. <laughs> All right, let's pray and we'll get to the services this morning. Almighty God, we thank you.